Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast. I'm Jawad as always. Thank you for joining me today on the 3rd of October. Back to our usual day of Thursday for recording. Plenty to discuss as always. And um, the Russian Grand Prix over the weekend, probably not the classic, the most classic race we've had this season. But a lot, I guess, to take away from it. Um, Lewis Hamilton just keeps breaking records and... uh, Got a new record over the weekend for um, having led the most races in his career, and he takes that one over from Michael Schumacher um, after Hamilton won in Russia. Also, Mercedes' unbeaten run in Russia continues. They claimed a 1-2 finish despite um, Ferrari being on pole position. Some big news in regards to McLaren as well and what their future is on the engine partnership front. I'll talk a bit about that in depth as well. And of course, rounding out all the um, footy finals news. So AFL, the final is done and dusted. And then we've got Rugby League to look forward to this weekend. So yeah, getting straight into it then with um, the Russian Grand Prix. So qualifying, we had Charles Leclerc take his fourth straight pole position. Sebastian Vettel starting from third. Um, Hamilton in between them starting second. And yeah, the start of the race saw Ham- uh, sorry Vettel take the lead from third. Leclerc uh, holding off Hamilton in second. So this is sort of where things start to go a bit funny during the race. So apparently there was some kind of pre-race agreement between Ferrari and um, their drivers to, you know, if Seb gets the toe um, and slingshots past Hamilton and Leclerc to take the lead at the end of the first lap or going into the second corner, I should say, then um, Leclerc would be allowed to swap places and take back the lead later in the race. So that did not happen. Uh, Vettel took the lead into the first round of pit stops and, um, so they brought in Leclerc first, sorry, then pitted Vettel. Vettel still had track position, but then there was uh, trouble for Seb with an MGUK failure and um, the virtual safety car was brought out. Now, this, I guess, <laughs> there's no conspiracy or anything like that in this. So with that virtual safety car, because Mercedes hadn't pitted at the time, they took the opportunity under the virtual safety car to pit bring in both Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas and as a result they maintain track position because with the virtual safety car it neutralizes the whole field and basically you're not allowed to go fast so yeah while Leclerc may have been you know already had his pit stop done and looking to get track position back that virtual safety car caused by his teammates um, retirement pretty much uh, spelled the end of it for him so Basically, yeah, that was where the race was turned on its head and lost for Ferrari because from there, Mercedes didn't look back. Um, Leclerc was splitting both the cars, so Hamilton in the lead at that stage, but there was um, a bit of a shift for Ferrari. They decided to bring Leclerc back into the pits to switch to the soft tyre, which is the same compound of tyre that the Mercedes cars are on. He ends up behind Bottas and um, from there is unable to basically pass. Bottas did a good job to keep Leclerc at bay. Mercedes complete their 1-2, but, you know, would have been frustrating for Leclerc, who again for the second race in a row is on the team radio and talking to his team about his disappointment with how they've got this agreement and then the other driver didn't adhere to the agreement, etc., etc. And then after the race, he came out and said that, he still he still trusts the team. He still trusts his teammate. You know that's not changed, but 
the fact that this is the second race in a row we've had something like this occur and Leclerc's been quite vocal on the radio, it's all pointing towards some kind of implosion to happen within the team if not this season perhaps next year when um, the championship they potentially might be championship contenders for now given that they're not in championship contention it's more about you know getting all that uh, individual glory race wins and all that sort of stuff but imagine if these two were in championship contention next year and Ferrari who typically don't really get behind both drivers when it comes to um, title tilts. It's always one or the other, you know, Schumacher over Barrichello, Alonso over Massa, and then even Vettel over Raikkonen in recent years. So um, that's something to keep an eye out for in the future, of course. And so far what we've seen, so you can go back to Monza um, a few races ago and uh, Vettel gave the toe to Leclerc in the in qualifying Q3, and then when the favour was supposed to be returned by Leclerc um, on the final run, we had all that chaos happen because um, Leclerc didn't want to uh, get ahead or neither of the drivers wanted to get ahead. So that's, I guess, a bit of tension sort of brewing down there in the uh, stable of the prancing horse. But it'll just, yeah, I see if it's... It'll be good if there is an implosion because you want to see this teammate rivalry. You want to see a bit of controversy and for Seb too he's no stranger to this sort of stuff I mean a lot of people came out on social media after the Russian Grand Prix or during the Russian Grand Prix I should say and um, stated that yeah this has got shades of multi-21 written over it where you know the team had told Vettel to let his teammate pass and Vettel was basically I mean he had the pace to hang on to the lead but because of the agreement or whatever that the teammate was supposed to be let through, yet, you know, Vettel didn't really adhere to it. So, Multi-21, if you guys are not familiar with it or would like a rehash of what it is, back in 2013 in the Malaysian Grand Prix, there was a similar agreement between Red Bull drivers Vettel at the time and his teammate Mark Webber. Webber was second, Vettel leading the race, and it was instructed to Seb to um, allow his teammate Webber by... Um, to potentially win the race that day, multi-21, of course, the number of um, the driver numbers at the time, Vettel car number one, Weber car number two, multi-21 just basically means, yeah, number two should be ahead of number one, so on that day, Vettel ignored that order, uh, much to Mark Weber's uh, frustration and disappointment, um, and on this day as well, I guess we saw Vettel not letting his teammate through when he was supposed to so not that it would have changed the race I think I think given when that virtual safety car came out or even um, the full safety car because it came out just after we had the virtual safety car for Sebastian stricken car uh, George Russell on lap 29 found the wall with a brakes issue and um, he was out of the race and of course the full safety car came out, so Mercedes could have easily, at that point as well, pitted and come back out ahead of Ferrari, so um, they, Mercedes were basically, they lucked into the win, kind of like when Lewis lucked into it um, at Silverstone and beat his teammate on the day, Bottas, so I think, yeah, Mercedes lucked into this one um, in a way, and you know, James Allison after the race, the Mercedes technical chief saying this is deliciously ironic, you know, so yeah, um, 
it wouldn't have changed, I think, even if Leclerc had made it past Vettel, um, that the safety car was the reason why they lost the race on the day. But it does point to a bigger issue, you know, about, um, you know, not so much team harmony, but also just being a team player. So at the moment, while they're not fighting for the championship, it's just race win after race win that, if the team see that this is potentially going to jeopardise um, results for them, you know, they want to go after the best result possible. So that's why in Singapore, when we had um, Vettel undercut Leclerc, and Leclerc was angry that he wasn't brought in first under the um, proviso that he's the race leader, he should be given first priority for pit stop. Doesn't bother to bother the team. Sorry, doesn't bother the team because they still achieved a 1-2 finish on the day. So... Um, it doesn't matter which driver finishes first. Both are not really in championship contention, so at that stage it doesn't matter. So when it does get to the stage where we do have both guys fighting for the championship, um, say let's it's a repeat of 2016 between Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg, that where does the team draw the line? So you know there was several flashpoints throughout that season, and in fact throughout the tenure between those two teammates since 2014 you know you look at Monaco Grand Prix you look at um, what happened in Belgium as well the same year then 2016 you fast forward to um, Barcelona both of them taking each out each other out on the first lap so until that sort of stuff starts happening I think you know we're just going to have to wait and see how Ferrari manage this but You'd hate to see someone like Leclerc chastised for this, you know. Um, He's the young charger. He's the one who's looking to make a name for himself. Um, And so far this year, you've got to say he's been the better Ferrari driver, not just on numbers, but, you know, performance and, you know, the way he's conducted himself too, whereas Vettel, he just seems like he's he's not there. I know the last uh, last time out in Singapore, he won the race, um, but that would have... That would not have been if, you know, the pit stop didn't happen earlier for Leclerc. So um, even I said last week on the podcast that I think Vettel kind of acknowledged it when he crossed the line. His celebrations weren't as jubilant or whatever as you would expect him to usually celebrate after a win, especially seeing as he hasn't won a race for a whole year, that um, you would have expected him to be more excited. So perhaps even he knew that... um, this one was kind of handed to him in Singapore. So anyway, let's keep moving it on, I guess, talk about Russia. So full safety car, obviously, for Russell's um, accident. Leclerc pitting again, um, didn't manage to get past the Mercedes, so Bottas doing a good job to keep Leclerc at bay. Um, So 1-2 for Mercedes, third for Leclerc. Then um, we had Vettel, sorry, not Vettel, Vettel was out of the race, ha, ha, ha. Um, yeah, Verstappen, Red Bull, fourth and fifth for those guys. Um, and great races for them as well. So, you know, Russia, not particularly the greatest track for overtaking. And that sort of came back into the spotlight over the weekend as well. But both the Red Bulls having been hit by grid penalties, um, getting ready for the Japanese Grand Prix next up. Uh, Honda wanting to make sure that they've got their best power unit available for their home race. It decided to take those penalties this weekend, and um, Verstappen didn't wasn't hit too hard. I guess he was just starting outside the top ten, came back to finish fourth. But his teammate Alex Albon, with another sensational race, um, starting from the pit lane, actually came back to finish fifth. 
So overtaking quite a few cars en route to fifth. Behind them, another solid race for McLaren. Both cars in the points with Carlos Sainz in sixth. Um, had a great start. He was actually ahead of Bottas, you know, at one point at the start of the race, but of course couldn't match the Mercedes uh, long term. Lando Norris promoted up into eighth because of a Magnussen penalty behind, um, five second penalty for abusing track limits. So Haas, good to see them back in the points as well. Uh, even though Magnussen got the penalty, he still got a couple of points down in ninth. Um, so again, you know, those guys with their hybrid setup that they've been using um, in the last couple of races where they've, you know, taken the car from the Australian Grand Prix, added a few upgrades to it and to see where the data correlates, you know, where is this trouble with the tyres coming coming from? So good result for them in terms of getting some points on the board. Hulkenberg in 10th as well. Um, so a couple of points for Renault, but still it was a big haul of points for McLaren. So they're kind of pulling away in that battle in the championship, uh, for fourth. And also quickly, um, first time since 2014 that McLaren have broken that 100 points barrier in the construction constructors championship. So it's been a sensational year for them. And again, we'll talk about them. Um, just after we finish talking about the Russian Grand Prix, um, big news coming out of that camp ahead of the race on the weekend. So that rounds out the points runners. A um, lot of other drama happening on track. So on the opening lap, there was a crash uh, that claimed the scalps of Roman Grosjean and Daniel Ricciardo. Antonio Giovinazzi was caught in the middle of it, unfortunately, but he still was able to race on, but his race was pretty much done from there. Finished last and in 15th place. His teammate, Kimi Raikkonen, a uh, horror run of races for him in recent times. He jumped the start, you know, something that you wouldn't expect someone of Raikkonen's experience to do. He jumped the start, he got a drive-through penalty, and another bad race sees him just beat Pierre Gasly, and his teammate Giovinazzi to 13th. And for Williams, we've talked about how it's been a really bad year for them, but the one thing that was going for them was that they had finished every race up until the last race in Singapore, where we had Russell retire with a crash with Grosjean. Russell, um, Russell crashed again, this time um, on his own brake problem. And then what Williams decide to do is they decide to retire Robert Kubitz's car as well, just over the fear of a failure that was similar to Russell's happening again. So the first time all season that Williams have had a double DNF finish. So yeah, we lost um, five cars in that race. So a bit, bit eventful, but not the most spectacular. And again, the great racing was in that midfield cluster um, battling for the points and also seeing how they, you know, the strategies unfolded for them. So a bit unfortunate, but, you know, that's just, you know, Russia hasn't really, since its first year, thrown out the most exciting of races at all. So, yeah, and a bit of speculation about the future of this race too, um, heading beyond its contracted year, whether they can take it somewhere else in Russia or maybe out of Russia altogether. So, yeah. But while we're still talking about Russia, might as well go over, um, dug up this little infographic uh, off Instagram actually the other day about all the records that Lewis Hamilton currently holds. So now that he's got the most races led, he's also had a win in every year that he's contested since his rookie year in 2007. Most polls, of course, the highest percentage of points races 
you know, point scoring races and, you know, now he's, let's just say he'll get the sixth championship in the next couple of races. He'll be only a title away from equaling Michael Schumacher's record. And of course, 84 wins as well, which means he's only seven wins away from also equaling Michael Schumacher's all-time wins record as well. So quite fascinating when you look at that. And, you know, we can talk about Lewis all day, basically, about the kind of figure he is, how polarizing he is to many. But also, I feel that um, his records on track and everything speak for themselves, and he will go down as one of the all-time greats in Formula 1 when he does retire. Again, just one of those drivers that, or one of those athletes that you might not appreciate what he did until he retires completely. So, yeah, that'll be an interesting one to, to mull over. And at the end of the year, as we always do here, um, talk a bit more about the the season as a whole for Lewis and you know how does it compare to all the other years that he's had so far so yeah moving it on now and McLaren announced last week ahead of the Russian Grand Prix that they're going to be reuniting with Mercedes-Benz as their engine partner um, this won't happen till 2021 anyway so still a bit of time to go yet but um, reviving that customer partnership that they had um or the partnership that they had sorry all together for 20 years almost that yielded three drivers championships a team championship as well um and you know just a lot of success you know it's the most success that mclaren have had in the recent past and then of course 2014 was the last year that they were together and of course the last time McLaren had a podium finish in F1 and as I said the last time that they scored 100 points in a season um, pending further results of course for this year so I guess this one came a bit out of the blue we weren't expecting this but it was it's something I guess is going to be necessary because heading into 2021 um, or just heading into the future for McLaren as part of their revival um, as well you think that this is the logical next step as far as taking that step towards the leaders now that's saying let's talk about Renault and why the partnership with Renault wasn't going to go any further and for that I believe it's you know purely down to I guess the unreliability that Renault has been showing um, on their power unit given that they've been there since the beginning of the hybrid era alongside Mercedes-Benz and Ferrari. Um, the fact that Renault are still struggling to focus on those fundamentals or get those fundamentals down pat is quite disappointing. And I guess at the time when McLaren had to sever ties with Honda and to find an engine partner, Renault was, you know, I guess the only choice that they had at that time. So in the interim, it was a good solution. Um, if Renault did make progress, it would be, um, it would have been great, but it doesn't look like it. And a lot of McLaren's success this down this year has, you know, in part been down to Renault and the speed that they can get from that engine, but also McLaren's own gains internally, you know, whether with a chassis side, you know, management as well, how they've got a new structure there and that's they've got the right people in place and everything. So the logical next step for them was to to go out and find a partner, an engine partner that could potentially take them towards, you know, being towards the front of the field. Now, with Mercedes, of course, 
you know, they're happy to have an extra team, a fourth team now um, on board, extra data and revenue too that they'd gain from it. But, you know, are they at all threatened by if McLaren get into a position where they might be fighting for the world championship? Of course they are. Toto Wolff said that, you know, he welcomes the risk though. But it's also beneficial for them because they're in a position now where they don't really mind having a team that's powered by the same engine as them pushing them a little bit further too. So at the start of the hybrid era, it was kind of like every every team for itself um, mentality. But now moving ahead, it's probably for the better for them too. So And po- not to mention politically as well, how much power it would give Mercedes to have, you know, what 30% of the grid potentially um, or almost 50% if it's four teams that they've got and you've got 10 teams out there um, you've almost got 50% of the grid supplied by Mercedes-Benz power units so it's a big year 2021 you know new regulations the writing up of the new Concord agreement as well and for Mercedes to get that kind of um, power and leverage you know it could be quite significant but for McLaren themselves you know I guess this all came about due to the new management and their positive um, positivity at the moment. You know how Zach Brown's gone out and got the right people in place. He's got James Key looking after the technical department. He's got um, Andreas Seidel, who's effectively the team principal. So Zach doesn't have to really um, do this sort of stuff. He's got someone who, with more experience, looking after day-to-day team business on the track side of things in Seidel and so far you know he's been doing such a fantastic job so to get this deal done the way it was you know no problems it seems so why why it'll be good for them you know we won't know until we see them roll out in 2021 it seems like the engine um, regulations will stay the same or largely the same so you'd expect Mercedes to still be up there um, of course, you know, McLaren wasn't going to or can't really go um, to Ferrari for an engine deal because, you know, they're, com- you know, they're competitors on the, uh, the road car scene as well as manuf- road car manufacturers making the same sort of cars there. So they obviously couldn't um, link up uh, on the Formula One track. So Mercedes, I guess it's possible, given that they've had the previous relationship too, and even on the road, they've built um, a couple of cars in collaboration with each other. The SLR McLaren, if you guys remember, was a bit of a stunner. So, you know, with Mercedes, I guess it's the logical step for them. Like back, back, you know, when they announced that they'd be splitting with Honda and going towards Renault Power, I did say that this seems like an interim solution, I think, because depending on what the 2021 regulations were going to look like, I believe that Mercedes, sorry, McLaren could have even made the push to to getting their own power unit or their own power unit in the sense that an independent, you know, such as Cosworth or Elmore or whatever, would build a, a unit that, you know, that any team can go out and take and then brand it as their own. So McLaren powered by McLaren or whatever. So, you know, that could still happen, but I reckon they'll probably be better. And, you know, people will prefer it and they'll prefer it if they're known as McLaren Mercedes. Um, it's just got a, a good ring to it, that name. So, yeah, um, it totally works. 
I've written an article about it as well. I'll put the link in the in the show notes for this week as well, so you guys can have a read. But yeah, just where Renault are at, I don't feel that it was going to get... Um, it felt like a bit of a dead end for McLaren unless they improved drastically. But at the same time, it gives Renault scope to focus more on their um, works team because they've just... Yeah, as I said before, they're falling quite behind McLaren now in the championship this year um, in their pursuit for fourth. You know, you can't say that it's uh, all driver-related because, you know, you've got two pretty good drivers in the car, Nico Hulkenberg, who, of course, um, won't be with the team next year, and Daniel Ricciardo, who's a, a multiple-race winner who was brought to Renault on big money to get the results. So there's got to be something wrong with the car as well that's not allowing either driver to really maximise the potential. So... Yeah, I, that's where I stand on that. You know, I think we're going to really look forward to 21 now to see how McLaren will come out on that. They've had a great year, as I've said. Two good drivers who I hope can still be there in 2021 for when this um, partnership comes on board. And you know what? While McLaren might not be championship contenders immediately or because of the customer deal or whatever that they can't, Mercedes won't have them up there straight away, that, you know, they could still be challenging for wins, you know, and being on the podium, that's, I guess, what the what the aim of this is as well, and with the budget caps, I guess, as well, that they're looking to enforce, you know, Mercedes, McLaren has a big budget normally, you know, similar spends to Mercedes and Ferrari, but once that is all equalised and everything, then, you know, McLaren, who've gone out and got themselves some handy engineers and got all this sort of stuff happening for them you know perhaps they can play on a level playing field with the likes of Ferrari and Mercedes and even Red Bull with Honda so that's something to look forward to I think and um yeah just it'd be good to see the McLaren name back up there it's it's been a long time it's been a very long time since uh we've had any success down at McLaren so just seeing those guys even fighting for podiums would be a big win and um you know as far as the organization is concerned long term um i really feel that this is a positive step and they've done a great job this year to um revive the whole brand similarly to what ron dennis did back in the 80s you know um when he took over and revived the brand and they became a successful force again so maybe this is the this is where we see history repeat itself, but hopefully not in the sense that it's deja vu all of a sudden, but it's the start of something new. All right, moving away from racing again um, this time and talking about the footy grand finals. Um, AFL had their grand final over the weekend and Richmond came out and thrashed GWS by 89 points. I think it was the second highest margin for a win in a grand final in AFL history um it just felt like Richmond were playing a reserve grade team or something you know that's how badly GWS play you know three goals to however many the Tigers scored um goals everywhere from Richmond you know Jack Rewalt with five, Dustin Martin with four, few there for Tom Lynch, um, the debutante as well, Pickett, uh, Marlon Pickett was sensational too, um, and then of course best on ground for the game was Dustin Martin, he had a few freakish goals I remember we were watching, and he just picks up the ball 
and kicks you know he doesn't even have to like take his time to to line himself up it's just like yep get the ball kick it there you go goal so uh, a strong win for Richmond two flags in three years for them a lot of people saying and asking the question what if Collingwood made it to the grand final would it have been better you'd probably say yes you know they definitely would have put up more of a fight than GWS did Um, you know they'd had their key players such as you know Lockie Whitfield and Toby Green on ground as well they were missing Canelio but it wouldn't have made much difference the way they played so um, credit to the Tigers for getting the job done and you know they totally have the depth to to go again next year and you know perhaps start of a dynasty has been what's uh, has been talked about so far this week too so yeah, you know, good on Richmond for getting the job done. Um, and that's it for AFL this year. So looking forward to having a break from that. And um, when it comes back next year, we'll see what um, what's there to talk about. I'm sure plenty as always. And then for the NRL, we've got the grand final this weekend. So the Raiders are taking on the Roosters. So the Canberra Raiders beating South Sydney in the prelim last week. Um, pretty convincing win as was the Roosters over the Melbourne Storm. Canberra through to their first grand final since 1994, 25 years. And of course, 94 was the last time that they actually won the Premiership too. So it's a long drought for Canberra. Um, One of the players back then who's now the coach of Canberra, Ricky Stewart, he'll be, um, a lot of eyes will be on him, you know, given that this club is so means a lot to him and he means a lot to them as well so you know to win as both a player and a coach for the same club would be quite significant Um, of course the odds are in the favor of the Roosters who are looking to go back to back of course first time back to back winners since Brisbane back in the uh, early 90s I believe and no other team since then has won back to back you look at Melbourne Storm how successful they've been over the last decade and also even Sydney Roosters themselves so this will be pretty big Um, Cooper Cronk playing his final game too in the NRL um, looking to actually win three premierships in a row you know that'll be unprecedented too because he won of course in 2017 with the Storm before he announced he was going to Sydney won last year with the Sydney Roosters with that um, busted shoulder and then of course going for it again this year so it's always great there's always such great narratives and storylines to look forward to when it comes to these big games grand finals and everything it's you know the culmination of a whole year's worth of work for these guys and on the day you know it almost it's like well forget about the whole year it's about on the day who's the best team and the best team will win so it's a hard one to predict you know you can easily come out and say that Sydney will do it but then you look at the Raiders how well they've played this year they're playing for each other playing for their coach the you know cohesion is so is so good it's like well it would be a bad tip to go for the Raiders and they've got such a solid team you look at all the imports that they've had um, such as John Bateman, Elliot Whitehead, uh, Josh Hodson as well, their um, number nine and also their co-captain. So those guys have really injected such a, um, you know, class and finesse into the team. Uh, the recruitment, of course, of their fullback, Chance Nickel Klockstad as well, has been a revelation for them this year. Um, the experiment with Jack Whiten, moving him into the halves as well, has turned out to be such a success. So... 
you know, there's all sorts of things that you can be excited about looking at the Canberra Raiders, and I'm sure all the neutrals will probably be backing <laughs> backing the Raiders here because uh, the Roosters are not everyone's favourite team, unless you're from the eastern suburbs, of course, in Sydney. So, you know, while I'm going to be kind of neutral, like, if I were to pick a team, I'd probably say the Raiders, you know, not trying to get on the bandwagon or anything and go out and buy merchandise and then drop it off at the op shop the next day if they lost. I'm looking at those Geelong players who dropped off all their gear, sorry, Geelong fans that dropped off all their gear after that um, first final that they played against Collingwood a few weeks ago. Um, Yeah, so a lot to look forward to there. Roosters, though, given that they've got such great depth in their team, they've been relentless... There's just so many big names. And, of course, James Tedesco yesterday winning the Dalian medal, which is the um, best and fairest award in the NRL, winning that for the first time, sort of caps off the year that he's had, which has been so good, um, not just for the Roosters, but for New South Wales and State of Origin as well. And, you know, could it all culminate in a grand final victory, a back-to-back win for Tedesco, who, of course, joined the team last year coming away from the West Tigers, all the other guys, you know, Cronk, Luke Keery, um, Boyd Cordner, the captain as well. They've got Jared Warrior Hargraves back too, so that'll be um, pretty big for them as far as having a leader of their forward pack is concerned. Bit of contention still about whether um, Jake Friend will play, who's co-captains with Cordner, of course. You've got the young number nine, the hooker in Sam Verrills, who's played very well throughout the season, whereas... Uh, friend hasn't really had a lot of time on the field so does um, friend come off the bench or something like that or because he's been named in the reserves but whether he'll come off the bench I personally wouldn't like to see him start the game purely because Verrills has been quite solid where he's at but of course you know the experience of friend can't be ruled out but at the same time if he's not 100% fit you don't want to risk um, that part of your game being compromised especially when you've got Canberra who are so relentless and their forwards too quite formidable you know the likes of Josh Papali, Bateman, Whitehead and co yeah it's um, no really uh, you know they're not going to turn up and just be a bunch of mugs or whatever. They're going to be there with their A game. So, yeah, the Roosters can't really slip up and make any mistakes. And that's when, you know, the Roosters do lose is when they show a chink in their armour. And usually that armour that they have is quite thick and not very many teams can get under it. So, you know, you'd hope for their sake so that they can hang on and win Um, back-to-back premierships is that they don't make any mistakes and you know you'd almost expect a clinical performance from them as they so do often um, put on that that's the way for them to win but for the sake of excitement and a a good game to watch you'd hope that um, the Raiders can get under their skin a little bit and we can see the green machine um, take one home first time in 25 years hey (laughs) so yeah that's you know going to pretty much bring to the end the footy season um and it's been a great year i've enjoyed watching it with a bit more investment of course not just nrl but afl as well and you know it's just great great thing to have on over the winter um all the people who say you watch too many sports i mean come on i'm sure there's 
other people out there who watch more sport than me. You know, the only sports I... One of the sports I don't watch is soccer, so unfortunately, and I know that'll upset a few people out there too, um, somebody I'm sure who listens to this podcast will put their hand up and um, say that, so yeah, sorry, I'm still not going to get on the football band or the soccer bandwagon just yet, or ever, (laughs) if so, yeah, um, sorry about that, not sorry. Yeah, soccer's one that I've never really gotten into, and then, you know, there's probably other sports out there that I can't really watch you know as far as motorsport is concerned I'm still not you know big on the whole NASCAR thing it's not really my cup of tea um so that's that's that and um I don't know what else what else but anyway it's been a great year for for football footy and um, I've enjoyed watching it so yeah next week I'll bring to you a a wrap-up of the NRL grand final whoever wins the premiership um talk about their year Cooper Cronk of course final game it's been great watching his career Um, seeing him play a couple of times as well when he was at the Melbourne Storm was pretty pretty special too his partnership with Billy Slater and um, Cameron Smith and of course Cameron Smith a bit of uncertainty now about whether he will actually play next year you know he had that contract in place and it was looking likely that he would play but after that prelim loss to to the Roosters over the weekend um, he's sort of disappeared off the face of the earth and might not return. So hopefully all is well with Smith and um, we actually do get to see him come out for another year next year because he is quite vital to that Melbourne team and um, the Storm, of course. So, yeah. Anyway, that wraps it up for this week. Uh, bit of a break from racing this weekend unless you're going to watch the MotoGP in Thailand. Next week, of course, it's going to be a special podcast um, because we'll be talking about the Bathurst 1000, you know, the one race that, you know, you come into the year, one of those races, sorry, you come into the year and you really look forward to because it's such a special occasion. The whole week or the weekend, you know, is is just amazing. You get to Saturday, you've got your top 10 shootout, you know, your one lap dash to see who's on pole position, it's just the driver versus the track and it makes for one of the most spectacular scenes in racing and then of course Sunday the race um 11:30 a.m. Uh, 6 hours give or take it's just pure excitement so hopefully we get that again next week but um I'll talk more about it uh next Thursday when we preview that one previewing the Japanese Grand Prix as well Suzuka a favourite of many and dominated by Mercedes throughout the hybrid era. Can anyone else break through for that? So other than that, I hope you guys have a good weekend. Enjoy the sun, sh- um, <laughs> enjoy the sunshine because we've got a bit of it today. It's actually a really nice day. I was sitting outside um, writing an article earlier. So um, keep an eye out for that as well. But um, anyway, thanks guys for tuning in and I will be back next time.